Hello and thanks for joining us. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Mysterious Universe Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Grundy. And back again joining us is our regular Aaron Wright. How are you, Aaron? I'm good. It's so good to be back, Ben. Yeah, you missed last week. We had some great stories. What did you think of the... The lake monsters in Ireland. Oh, wasn't that great? I commented on that on the website, and there's, I think there's a lot more to that than meets the eye. It's, as I said, you know, the fact that it looks like there's some kind of surface tension, you know, breaking, but it's under the water. Yeah, we had lots of comments on the site, and there was quite a lot of discussion over the video on the uh, CFZ website as well. I'm not convinced now that it was a bird. The fact that it turns and the speed that it's travelling at, I don't think a bird can travel at such a speed under the water. Um, someone made an interesting comment on the website and was the fact that because it's shot at such a distance, it's really hard to determine how big that actually, that lake is. But to me, it looks pretty big and it looks like it's travelling over a pretty far distance at a pretty high speed. If you're a new listener, go to mysteriousuniverse.org and check out the show notes for episode five because in the show notes we have the YouTube video embedded. It was based Basically, uh, a very shaky video in some parts of what looked like objects moving under the surface of an Irish lake. So, uh, very cool footage to take a look at. And we've got some updates on some recent stories. I know last week I briefly mentioned the uh, CFZ's trip to uh, Sumatra looking for the Oran Pendek or the Malaysian Bigfoot, if you will. They did mention they made a sighting, but they've also got a photo here of the footprint that was left behind by the creature. This was reported on thesun.co.uk. They said British explorers claim they have spotted a legendary ape-man believed to inhabit an island jungle and snapped its footprints. The four-strong team and their Indonesian guide were tracking through dense jungle in Sumatra when two of them caught a glimpse of the famous Oran Pandek, or short man. Uh, So go to the website, mysteriousuniverse.org. This will be our uh, first link for the day. What did you think of the footprint? I wouldn't be surprised if this creature does exist and they did see it for the fact that orangutans themselves um, are solitary creatures and they, you know, are very difficult to find. And even though they do pop up occasionally and they're popping up more often now because of palm oil plantations and forestation or deforestation, the fact is, is that, you know, there's such uh, such dense jungles um, and these creatures, you know, orangutans are so you know, impossible to find. I wouldn't be surprised at all that this creature would be even more impossible to find. Well, let's take a listen to an interview at CFZ Sumatra. This is from Graham Inglis, who spoke to Dave Archer, who was the, the uh, investigator who saw the creature. I really like the description of how the creature reacted. Let's take a listen. When we got nearer, the whole, it, it, they're, they're a lot shorter than the Sumatran, and you can see a bit lower than I could. They, uh, he, he pointed out his... his um, Dave Oren Pendek, Oren Pendek. And I looked good, I couldn't see at all. I was a bit rustling further on up in the background with the gibbons were. But I, I, luckily I had a little laser, a laser pointer with me. And I, I, I pointed in the rustier direction and he moved my hand down to where he saw it. And I still couldn't see it that well. So I, 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 I pinned down lower. And I could just see like the back leg, the back leg and the, the hind quarters of it. And it was, um, it was about four to, four to five and a half about four to five foot above the ground on a on a, on a, on a, on a, a tree, a Y-shaped tree, and well, one of the one of the um, the faults of it had fallen off, and it was on the, it was sitting on where the where the where it joined the main trunk of the tree. It was it, it was crouched from there, clutching the other the other part of the fault, as if it was really sort of frightening fear. And it was all the all the trees that were covered in like a snag, sphagnum moss. And yeah. it was pushing its face tight, tightly against it. And it, at, at no time did it look directly at me. It, it, push, 
face to say into the moss on the side of the tree. Mm-hmm. It, it just looked petrified then when I saw it. It was um, a sort of dark, very, very dark brown, mostly blacky dark brown colour. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it's almost frozen. Sorry about the audio quality there. I cleaned it up as much as I could, but that's uh, from cfzsumatra.blogspot.com. Uh, I found the the description of the way the creature reacted to be really fascinating. The fact that it was kind of pressing its face, pressing its face against the tree in the moss, trying to hide, terrified, yeah. from the sounds of it. Um, and a lot of people ask, well, you were asking actually, why didn't they take a photo of this orang pendek? And the explanation was that they really just wanted to observe it. Yeah. I mean, if it was such a such a quick kind of sighting, you think rustling around in your bag for a camera would have alerted the creature even more and- um, Well, you don't know if it was going to attack you either. If you're, you know, if, if it's, you push something into a corner and it's terrified, um, if it's got no way of getting out, of course, it's going to come out swinging. And the point was made that any kind of photo is is just going to show, I mean, from the, his description there, they could only just see it. Yeah. Uh, and it was very, very hard for him to pick it out in the forest there. So even if a photo was taken, who knows what it would have looked like? It yep. probably just would have been blob squatch, <laughs> like we always get. <laughs> yes. So uh, there's a, the interview is much longer. If you want to check it out, I'll put links in the show notes. Let's look at some UFO news now. And there's this video that's been making the rounds. A few people have emailed it into our feedback line, and we saw this when we were doing some research on Friday, didn't we, Aaron? Yeah, viral it's, video. Yeah, it's 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 in Spanish, and it. I'll put links to it. I don't really want to because it's so obviously it's so fake. fake. But it's uh, a UFO or two jets fly past this UFO, um, and the UFO then kind of yeah, the UFO shoots down into the water, and this big CGI splash <laughs> comes out, and there's this fisherman yelling in Spanish and. It would have cost them a lot of money to make it, though. The fact that they've got this helicopter flying up to the boat and they're viewing the helicopter and they're scared. I really wish that I could understand what they were saying. Uh, yeah, so the helicopter's obviously not CGI, but no. I think the jets and everything oh, else yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so, I just wanted to quickly mention it, not to spend too much time on it, because- It takes away from real stuff that's happening. Yeah, you're gonna, if you're looking at UFO news and videos, you're going to come across it and- uh, yeah, it is one of the, one of those obvious fakes craft, that gets around. The craft isn't even anything fascinating. It's like a black blob that in two seconds ditches into the water. Yeah, and the the splash looks so fake. That's so fake. But in spite of that, we wanted to- We went looking. Yeah, we wanted to find some genuine videos from Spain, and two actually popped up this week. Yes, Ben, this first one was filmed a little over a week ago in Galicia, which is in northern Spain, and it's a really interesting video from what I can see. It Basically, there's people driving along in a car, and they're obviously filming this from the car, and it looks like it's some kind of cigar-shaped thing floating around in completely overcast skies. Um, And some people are quite sceptical about this, and the article is quoted as saying that um, sceptics will rightly say that it it could be anything. Um, But the amount of uh, witnesses that have come forward and the fact that you can hear in the video that there's this quite scared wailing child on the back of the car, uh, it makes it certainly worthy of consideration. What I find interesting about this one is there seems to be acceleration. Yeah. Um, So, you see the object. When they first capture it on video, it starts to move and then there's a little bit of acceleration at the end of the video. Yeah. Um, so, hopefully we hear more from this. The next one is also from enexplicata.blogspot.com. Also very recent, this appeared on September the 23rd, where noted Spanish UFO researcher Antonio Salinas posted this clip to YouTube. 
It shows a marine environment and sudden appearance and disappearance of the object. However, the witness's identity remains unknown, as well as the location. So a bit suspect, but I find this one a little convincing because... It's not that impressive for starters. No, and it only happens for a, a split second. And you can see the person who's holding the camera running up to this cliff. And at first I said, well, what am I looking at here, Ben? It doesn't, I couldn't see anything. And then, yeah, for a split second, this like black thing moves from right to left in the screen and then disappears. Mm. You'd think that if it was a hoax, they would make it more impressive. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I but like this maybe one. they're doing that on purpose, though. So. <laughs> yeah, these are two great videos. I was really pleased to see those after that. Um, terrible fake that was going oh. around about that Spanish UFO. So I told was- you, it's taking away from these, you know, um, really exciting UFO videos that are clearly garbage are actually taking away or even mocking what's, you know, really being caught. If you do know what that obviously fake video is for, I think it's viral yeah, send for us, uh- a movie or a new TV show, please let us know. Let us know. Um, and, and head to mysteriousuniverse.org. We'll have links to those two, well- more genuine-looking UFO videos (laughs) in the show notes. Still on UFO news, this one is from unexplainable.net, where Chris Capps has reported on Brazil declassifying some new UFO documents. He writes, After years locked away from the public eye, several documents regarding UFO investigations carried out by the Brazilian government have been made public. The documents record information regarding official government investigations into several incidents recorded throughout the 80s. Thus far, some 4,000 pages have been released, and it's fascinating to read the events reported, to say the least. That is, if you can read Portuguese. That's handy. They've actually got an excerpt uh, of one event which occurred uh, on May the 19th in 1986, when 21 objects reported to be spherical in shape, and according to Brazilian military sources, over 100 metres in diameter were spotted. Radar reports by military and civilian radar reported the objects, and visual confirmation came quickly from several civilian pilots. Air traffic was in chaos above major Brazilian airports, and finally F-5 and Mirage fighter jets were scrambled to track the objects. And it was the public outcry of the event that spurred Octavio Moreira Lima, the Air Force Minister, to go public the next morning and speak on the events openly with the public on television. So, Brazil has had a number of disclosures since 2007. Really, really positive to see that these documents are being released. And um, there's just so much there, like 4,000 pages of reports. Why are they releasing this information, though, now? Because normally with any type of government information, um, as we were talking about a couple of episodes ago about archiving everything else, it's usually 30 years before this type of information is released, um, you know, alternatively Mm. destroyed. I wonder why that they're all of a sudden just releasing so much information. Well, from what I've looked at at the Brazilian disclosures, it seems to be fueled by really strong organisations of UFO researchers. Yeah, like there's a, a real kind of movement to and a lot of pressure on the military to release these documents. And um, you know they've been at it for years and years and years and years, and they're actually getting results. They're actually seeing these documents being released, which I think is fantastic. Oh, it's wonderful. I like it down the bottom of this article where it says the documents are currently being translated to English by a team of 30 translators working around the clock. So, that's great. Yeah, they say the first 500 pages are scheduled to be translated about midway through this month. And uh, they're available now, but they're all in Portuguese, of course. But maybe we can take a look at those when they get translated. Yeah, that's a great idea. And now onto some 
pretty uh, wild abduction stories. We had those abduction reports on last week's episode. We've got another one continuing our kind of South American theme here. This is from Argentina, and it's uh, woman claims visit by 14 extraterrestrials. Uh, the event occurred at a house in Florencio, Florencio Varela, and the case promises to have worldwide repercussions. This episode is part of an investigation undertaken by the founders of the group OVNI, and they've got a quote here from Jorg Marin and Danielle Valverde, who managed to secure an interview last week with this woman, who's only 23, and they're quoted as saying the case is currently under investigation and the analysis has not yet been completed we are working with a multidisciplinary team of experts who have contributed their manpower to unravel the case. As we can tell right now, and I don't know how they can tell this, it is 90% true. I like it in how they've said that apparently the protagonist in this story is Karina. And she said, you know, part of these revelations that have, you know, were told to her by the aliens is that the aliens visit our planet on six monthly rotations and then they are replaced by a new group. They claim that they are the ones that are responsible for the crop circles and that dozens of civilizations from other planets come down and interact with Earth to study it and study us. Isn't that amazing? It's great. Um, I like the idea that it's shift work. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, you know, you need to make a living as well, Ben. You get six months on, six months off abducting people on Earth. Well, if you had access to that kind of technology, would you really want to spend more than six months here anyway? There's another quote here from her at the end of the article. She said, I've never had an experience of this sort. It happened two and a half months ago. We were in bed, my husband, my baby and me. They were asleep and I was trying to fall asleep. Suddenly I felt lights and when I opened my eyes, there was nothing there. I closed my eyes again and the same thing happened. Like a flash of light, I opened my eyes, but all I could see was the pilot light on the stove. The fourth time this happened, she said, I felt it closer. I opened my eyes and saw the beings standing beside me. I was lying between my husband and my daughter. I uncovered myself and sat up. They were around the bed, 14 of them, all of them short except for one. This last one was beside my husband, staring at him. The small ones were all around and measured 1.3 metres or so. They were slightly taller than my bedside tables, which is rather tall, in her description of the events to researchers Marion and Valverde, the witness explained that she tried to wake her husband but was unable to do so. As we mentioned earlier, she said, I even dug my nails into him, but nothing. The baby was on the other side on her stomach, but neither of them reacted. At that time, one of the beings told me not to wake up my husband because he was not ready. I realised that they spoke to me telepathically and I could answer them in the same way. They were practically alike. The only difference was the height of one of their number. They were skinny with long necks and small heads. Their eyes were black like almonds, slanted, and their mouths were also small. They had little wrinkles on their face and the head was oval-shaped. They had shoulders. Their fingers were long and had no nails. She said five of them were on the left, four facing me, and five on the right side of the bed. I was the only one who wasn't paralysed. We communicated for some 40 minutes, mouths closed. That is to say, I spoke, but my mouth didn't move. I managed to touch one of the little ones, and he touched my face. I just felt the need to touch him, and in fact, I felt peaceful in their company. And in her conversation with the researchers, she said the tall one was looking at my husband all the time. His head was slightly smaller than the others, because the small ones had rather large heads it felt like touching a baby's skin. They had little wrinkles, but I couldn't feel them when I touched one of them. The skin was cold and the colour was odd, neither white nor grey. They had a skin tone that doesn't exist here. What an incredible story. 
I hope we hear more from this. Yeah, so do I. So the investigation's still ongoing. Well, the fact that it's saying it's going to have worldwide repercussions, um, I can imagine that it would, but it's still just another uh, incident. I wonder how this is going to come out to be such a, a huge thing. Unless they've I hope got it does. some sort of proof, like some tangible proof. Well, she was, she was um, quoted as saying that they told her that they'd come to give her answers about a black book, and it's in brackets, the Bible, and um, the truth about what's in the Bible. So, I don't know if that's what they mean by the worldwide repercussions. It, again, I mentioned this on the last episode. This is stuff that's common in abduction experiences. And the fact that there's one tall one is often mentioned. Because yes, obviously we're talking yeah. about the greys here. I mean, this is what it sounds Clearly like. Clearly a grey, yeah. And a taller one is often mentioned as being the a real, real grey or a controller. And they say that the rest of them are... Like machines, yep. they're like biological machines. These little ones and the tall ones are the actual real beings. So that was pretty interesting. So yeah, we'll put links to that in the show notes if you want to read the the full article. But we'll keep an eye on that one for you if any updates pop up. And our next one here is from Greg Zagula. It's at unexplainable.net. And often abductees talk about having medical procedures. Often, but sometimes positive results from these procedures. Yes, and this is one example here. This is great. It's aliens cure leukemia. And a woman from Brazil has an amazing story to tell. She claims that she was abducted by aliens. However, while she was on the ship, she says that the aliens had cured her of cancer. And the woman was also pregnant. Um, The type of cancer she had was leukemia, the article has stated. She's quoted as saying, they saved my life and the life of my child. My own doctor said that we were doomed and there was nothing that they could do for us. But those strange men knew exactly what to do. They used all sorts of strange lights and instruments to cure me of the killer leukemia. Isn't that great? Like... Reminds me of the story that Jim Sparks had. Yes, we we're talking that about yeah, that earlier. Yeah, well, he, he was taken and abducted and had you know, many abduction experiences, but uh, he he shared one experience where at the end of a, an abduction encounter, he was presented with a little black box and as a gift. And when he opened the black box, there was this sticky, horrible black tar in there. And he was like, well, what kind of a gift is this? What is this? And he got the answer that it was from his lungs. So oh, because re- he was a heavy smoker, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, they had removed it somehow. Well, what I like about this article is because when you hear about these sort of things, you go, oh, yeah, well, you know, is she just pretending that she had cancer? But the woman's obstetrician actually confirmed prior to the incident that, yes, she had leukaemia. And then he also later after the incident confirmed that she didn't have the cancer anymore. Yeah, it's pretty uh, incredible. Th- the doctor has stated as refusing to believe that her alien abduction story occurs. And he says that something miraculous must have happened to give to have given her this cure. Something miraculous like an alien abduction. <laughs> That's <maybe>. right. <laughs> so, she's still sticking to this abduction story. And she said that there were four aliens that worked on her on a ship. She says they performed terrifying medical procedures on her before letting her off the ship. She claims that the aliens did not harm her in any way. She said, I found out that I was pregnant and had leukemia on the same day in December. In fact, I had just about made up my mind to take my own life when two men with long pointed noses and ears approached me as I was getting into my car. It's the Vulcans. Isn't that a bizarre description? When I turned toward them, they looked at me with piercing black eyes and motioned me to follow I wanted to resist but couldn't. They seemed to have a strange power over me that I couldn't shake off. And according to Matt Newspapers, the woman followed the men into an empty lot not far from her home. She was then taken into a saucer-like spaceship that had a pulsating blue light. She said the ship was the size of a school bus. 
When she was inside the spaceship, they took her into a dark round room. In the room, she was placed on a padded table, and then she was strapped in. She said one of them pulled a large instrument and light down from the ceiling and pointed it in my face. I didn't feel any pain, but the men were so frightening I must have passed out. When Mrs. Brandt woke up, she was sitting in her own backyard. Five hours had passed, and the only evidence that anything had ever happened to her was a very small needle mark in her right temple. She said, whoever or whatever those men were, I want to thank them with all my heart. This reminds me, and it's not the same, but the fact that I'm sure that there are races out there that do have the best of intention. And look at us. I mean, humans as a whole, I think we've got big problems, but there are certain groups of us that want to go and protect animals and go and rescue animals and doing all these sort of things. You know, we're looking after a species that's less powerful than us. So it's not a far-fetched to think that there are alien species out there that which are far more powerful in the universe that are caring for us. But why just one person? Well, it was all, yeah, just one person, but she might have a purpose that they might, for some reason, have mapped out. Well, the common thread here is that she was pregnant. Ah, okay. So maybe it was they're doing their regular you know, genetic thing with pregnancies that they all seem to always do in these reports. And then it's like, oh, there's cancer here. We might as well get rid of that while we're here. Yeah, yeah, true. Well, either she's been previously abducted and didn't remember it and was carrying some kind of hybrid or something. Um, or she made it up. Or she made it up. But the fact is, Ben, she her doctor confirmed she had leukemia and then she did. It just doesn't disappear. I mean, I at university, I did a lot of stuff into pathology and um, leukemia just doesn't disappear. Yeah, there is a genuine miracle here yeah. if the cancer did just disappear like that. We're going to take a quick break from our abduction stories. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about disclosure, whether it's possible and what it would mean to our society. Stay with us. You're listening to Mysterious Universe. I do believe that uh, disclosure will trigger very possibly the greatest era of reform in history. In other words, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create a kind of a cascading effect in which because of the, the fact that the world's attention will suddenly be focused pretty much in the same direction, through billions of eyes focusing in the same direction. And that everything sort of is tossed up in the air. Everything goes on the table suddenly, which happens once in a while. That the reformist movements that are out there, and there's, there's reformist movements everywhere, right? You just don't hear about them, but they're out there struggling along, working out of their basement, will suddenly be given life and energy and money. And you're going to see literally a systemic, I think, spectral uh, reform that will be staggering in its, uh, in its size and scope. Now, will it lead us to wonderful things? Will it all work out? Will it be like the French Revolution? You start off with a good idea, and the next thing you know, you're lopping heads. I don't know. But I know that the opportunity is there. And for me, that's one of the reasons to keep going and do this. It's, it's not just, oh, we'll, they'll tell us the ETs are here. We have a world that, is, that has basically been shoving stuff under the rug for a couple of centuries, putting things in the closet, sticking them in the attic, not taking care of business, not dealing with what has to be done. And that was going to catch up with us. And I think this is the trigger that suddenly says, okay, we got to clean out the basement, clean out the attic, we got to cut the lawn, we got to take care of business, we got to clean up the secret empire, we got to start filming the Bilderberg meeting, we got to toss the skull and bones idiots off the Yale campus. We got to do a lot of things. We got we need monetary reform. We need doctrine reform in the Christian church, the Islamic faith. We got to take care of stuff because a lot of stuff is stupid, right? It's ridiculous. But we're locked up. 
After two, you know, the last 2,000 years, we're just completely all locked up, we can't move. And so you go to the Congress for some simple thing, and the Congress is going, I can't move. And you go to the Islamic faith and say, look, we need a little change here, we're gonna have a world class, we can't act. Catholic Church can't change its policy on birth control. We can't get anything done. All of a sudden, boom, into this comes the biggest event of all time. So, what happens after that's up to us. I just look as my job is trying to help people look and see and, and maybe be part of the post-disclosure world. But we've hopefully earned our right to be on the stage. Hopefully we've earned the right to be heard. We just heard Stephen Bassett there on disclosure. That was at the Barcelona Exopolitics Summit back in July this year. The reason I wanted to play that was because uh, this week uh, I was looking for audio from the Project Camelot conference that just happened uh, last, was it last week or the week before? Uh, September 15th, I think. So, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the recent uh, Camelot conference. Um, and I'll put links up in the show notes to the video. They've got it all up on Ustream if you want to take a look. There's a ton of stuff there. So, we might uh, grab some snippets of that for next week's show. But uh, I came across this Stephen Bassett video uh, while I was looking for that and thought it would lead in nicely on a bit of disclosure talk to get us ready for perhaps next week's episode. We might look at it in more depth. One of the speakers was uh, Richard Dolan, uh, who we also have some videos on him on uh, exopolitics and disclosure. Um, When we were discussing this on Friday, you had a a bit of a different view to me. You, You don't think that humanity can handle disclosure? No, we can't. Why? If you think about it, Ben, okay, we've got the people that are listening to our show that are enlightened and there are certain types of people that, mm. I don't know what it is, there's something about us that, you know, ever since I was a little kid, um, where you sort of, you want to know, you, you question these things. Like, the first time I ever heard about UFOs or aliens, I wanted to know. I wanted to find out what's going on. But people like us, and I'm not trying to differentiate anything like that, but there are people that are so naive and so ignorant of um, anything that's beyond what they can't see. Mm. Um, that they won't handle it. People will. Do you think they're in the majority, though? Absolutely. People overall are ignorant and scared. And I'm not trying to. Be, I'm not trying to say, oh, you know, everyone's stupid and everything. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that if just imagine if you're going along, you're happy going along in your little life and your mm. little world, and then all of a sudden it comes over the news that we've made contact with aliens and we're not alone. Could you imagine? Because of what movies have done and what tell, like, okay, let's hope that. The first contact isn't, oh, well, by the way, they're blasting away the White House. Um, more that I would like first contact to be that, hello, we're here, we'd like to share technology or we'd like to... I, I kind of agree with you that the majority of the population... Be terrified. Is clo- well, close-minded, I was going to say. Yeah. Well, but that- um, I think in terms of the topic of the existence of alien cultures, the existence of UFOs, I think that the majority... Uh, accept that now, well, at least would give it the possibility of existing. Don't I mean? Don't oh, surveys show that that people are fine with the idea that life exists outside of outside <laughs> of our solar system? I would think so, but the problem that I have is that um, if you get a whole heap of people that are um, terrified, and if it comes out the fact that yes, there is extraterrestrials, and yes, we've made contact. Then you'll get people going, are we being abducted? Are we being invaded? I want to, and people will get scared. And the problem is that will could, uh, I'm not saying will, but could become a mass hysteria problem with people going, oh, how am I safe in my home? If these people have technology or these entities have technology that's beyond me protecting myself. I have a little bit of an issue with 
the definition of the term because Stephen Bassett talks about this event, you know, this event that all the world's attention will be focused on, this massive event. But that's not disclosure. That's... That's yes, just that's, us it's seeing, becoming aware on a large scale of something that's happening. Yep. There's still groups that will be in power that have secrets. Yes. Disclosure is, is you know, what most people think of the what president you know, the 50s. doing a press conference and, and saying, this is, this is what happens. This is real. This is the information we have. I remember seeing a video. I don't know if it was, I don't know if when you and I were researching or something. It might have been late at night when I was doing some research at home. But there was a, a reporter who walked up to um, candidate Obama before he, you know, was being pre selected and everything else. And the reporter said to him, If you become president and you find out that we have contact with aliens or extraterrestrials or anything that's like that, will you disclose it? And he completely avoided the question. I can't remember how he responded, but he deflected it so well. I mean, as a politician, would he deflected it so well, which ma- leads me to believe that these questions are being asked and they're deflecting it. There's oh, something- you mean because he he deflected it so well that he was prepped for that kind of question? Yeah. Like he had a pre-prepared deflection of Absolute- any kind of UFO question? Absolutely. No, it's possible. I think- So, it leads back to he's more wanting to upset people. I think it might be more the fact that he's just a master politician. Oh, well, that as well. Absolutely. But the fact, it makes me wonder, you know, you don't want to be upsetting people. So, if you're about to go into a candidacy for becoming president, if there are factions of people out there that are worried about this information coming out, of course, they're going to put him in. They don't want to put a president in who's going to be going, oh, yes, you know, I'll put out all the documents and post them on YouTube. But again, we come back to the idea that the president- knows any of this stuff well that's when, exactly right from stuff agencies. we've seen and what some researchers believe that this is entirely untrue that the people in power in washington yeah black ops don't know and anything dark forces. it's it's other groups behind the scenes that, that have the hold the power and this is what stephen bassett is talking about is that this um this event could dissolve those groups for us to have disclosure god i'd hope so um but I mean, again, that's not my idea of disclosure is not that disclosure is what's happening in Brazil, yeah. the official release of documents. There has to be an official release and to kind of. Well, the British did as well with the Ministry of Defence. It's actually the Ministry of Defence releases documents as well. But in terms of people reacting to disclosure and, you know, you, you said that we won't be able to handle it. If it truly is disclosure in that form and it's information released, I think it would be done in such a way that people would be able to handle it. No. <laughs> I'm going to have to agree Don't you think it would just be a little, bit, a little bit at a time? Like, or maybe we found microbes on Mars or we found some- Yeah, but see, okay. The thing is, I think people would be able to handle us finding microbes on Mars. Oh, well, there's bacteria on Mars. Or, oh, great. You know, there's, there's things on Mars that aren't. Whereas if you get to a point where there are people that are more powerful than us- if, if it comes, because there's got to be a point like you're releasing little tiny bits piece of information, but there will always be a point that will come where it will be official. There are higher intelligence extraterrestrials out there that have been in contact with us. The fact that the sooner that, that they become something that's more powerful than us, mm. people won't be able to deal with it. Let's take a look at Richard Dolan's uh, exopolitics panel. He makes a list of points which I think are relevant to what we're discussing. Let's take a listen. I've been feeling for a long time that disclosure, or let's call it the end of the secrecy, is impossible, but it's also inevitable. It is a paradox, and hopefully I'll be able to explain to you why I think that's the case. There's a number of uh, themes that I want to go into today. So that any kind of disclosure or openness 
or breaking out of the secret on this topic is going to have to deal with these various issues. First, it's going to have to deal with the very confrontational relationship that we have had with them, whoever them happen to be. And I'll explain that a little more. Second will be, um, because once the disclosure comes out, there'll have to be some kind of analysis of the vast illegal structure that, of secrecy as it has evolved over six, six or more decades to hide this. I mean, after all, if the President of the United States were to say, well, it's come to my attention <clears throat> that, you know, in fact, the UFO phenomenon appears, appears to be real and some of them are not us, you know, he would like to say, well, now I'm going on vacation for a few months, see ya, but that really won't be possible. There'll be follow-up issues, I'm sure. And so one of them is going to be, well, how have you kept the secret? And that's going to get into um, some very, very nasty little issues that will be difficult, I think, to avoid. The third issue is that disclosure or the end of the, of the secrecy will involve will be an analysis and an understanding at some point of what the secret program really is about. I mean, what are they doing with all this secrecy? Are they building flying saucers, for example, and other things? Uh, the fourth thing, then you're going to have to ask, well, who are these other beings? What is that all about? Why are they interested in us, if they are? Yes, they certainly are, I think. Um, and then I think what will happen is any kind of uh, outing of this issue is going to present a risk and a great challenge. Uh, think back to uh, something, you know, one generation ago when Mikhail Gorbachev became head of the, the Soviet Communist Party in 1985. And it seemed great. Perestroika, glasnost, restructuring, openness, wow. Anyone who was studying this at the time, and I think most of us were, were just blown away by this. But what happened? Well, six years later, there was no more Soviet Union. Uh, in other words, I think this, the process of reform spiraled out of his control. And I think uh, that's child's play compared with what would likely happen in the event of true openness on this particular issue. So that was really interesting, Ben. There's a few points that came up that I found to be really interesting. Um, the last point that he raised, which I was you know, really passionate about, was that if disclosure occurs, that there will be changes and challenges um, to the structure of power, politics, industry, legal finance, um, the elite control. And I was, I was saying to you before as we we're watching this, Imagine it takes a lot of power in a very small space to propel a starship or some kind of craft across space, whether it be through an interdimensional rift or a, a wormhole or, or whatever they're doing. I mean, we don't know what technology they're using. Could you imagine that technology being given to, given to humans? We won't have to rely on oil anymore. We won't have to rely on coal. It will change the car industry. It will change the transport industry. Everything would change. So, what, essentially, the power structure that's in place now would collapse. And there's too many people making too much money to allow that to happen. Right. So, he says at the end there that disclosure is impossible but inevitable. And I think he puts It's a that, contradiction of terms. It's a really great contradiction because uh, I, I do agree that disclosure is impossible See, in and I agree that, it's inevitable. In the, yeah. The way, <laughs> the way that we've been describing it or the way that I-, I have like the term is that it's an official disclosure from those in power, mm. but they're never going to disclose that because it essentially dissolves what they are. So, getting back to what Stephen Bassett was saying, he said once this event happens, we'll have the momentum to dissolve this power structure, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen that way. I think we need to get rid of the power structure first 
before we will get any type of real knowledge about what's happening. Yeah, but you look, even in, like, I know that in America you've got the Skull and Bones Agency or you know, agency, what are they called, the club or mm. society. You know, even in here in Australia, you know, we've got the Masons who are, you know, even though they're not quite large, they're there. And there's always going to be groups of people that will want to possess information to have it over other people. We're going to leave that with you to stew over. Coming up next, we have some mass hysteria reports through history on some new articles that have come out and also some uh, science news and ghost stories towards the end of the show. You're listening to Mysterious Universe. Stay with us. Next up, we head to 14times.com where they have a great new article. It's entitled Outbreak, Strange Tales of Mass Hysteria. It's by Bob Ricard. And uh, there's been quite a lot of articles on this topic because a brand new uh, book just came out. It's from Hilary Evans and Robert Bartholomew, who have spent many years exploring and cataloging anomalies of uh, mass hysteria. And the book's called Outbreak, the Encyclopedia of Extraordinary Social Behaviour. And they write it will undoubtedly remain the definitive reference work on collective delusions, mass panics, and other strange forms of group behaviour for the foreseeable future. So I've got this article here. Aaron has got a copy of uh, Cosmos magazine. September edition. Which had a bunch of stories uh, from this encyclopedia as well. So I just wanted to share a few of these with you. Go to mysteriousuniverse.org and take a look at the uh, link to this article. It's quite a big one. So I won't read all of it here, but uh, one of the accounts they had was from Alabama on the 21st of September in 1973. (laughs) This is the fainting marching band. And they write, on the 21st of September, 57 of 120 members of an Alabama marching band either fainted or fell ill shortly after performing at a high school football game. The incident occurred on a hot, humid evening after band members had travelled 100 miles to reach the away game. The game was particularly exciting as the favoured visiting team lost 7-6. The band successfully performed their seven-minute halftime routine, remaining on the field in a kneeling position while their counterparts from the rival school performed. When the rival's drill was completed, the visiting band briefly stood to attention, marched to the grandstand and were seated... Then, without warning, a girl fainted. Over the next ten minutes, five other girls suffered a similar fate. During the following twenty minutes, the girls rested on benches and several were sent to the hospital. During this period, many more band members reported feeling sick. Many of those affected seemed to be over-breathing, felt a tingling sensation in the limbs, and developed a choking sensation. Some also reported stomach pain or cramps, dizziness, nausea and weakness. And a second wave of symptoms apparently occurred as the members were boarding buses after the game. Over the next three days, ten more girls were stricken with five experiencing relapses. Tests ruled out food poisoning, heat stroke was also eliminated, and fever was absent. Now, while heat may have played a minor role, according to Dr Richard Levine of the United States Public Health Service, who investigated the episode, mass psychogenic illness was the primary culprit. Levine states that the discipline of a precision marching drill, the discomfort of wearing heavy clothes in a hot environment, the excitement and disappointment at losing a close game, suggests that the setting was appropriately tense for mass hysteria to occur. 
This is from, as Ben said earlier, Cosmos magazine, which is a great Australian science magazine. And there's a few in here, such as, you know, the Virgin Mary and uh, flying saucers and those sort of things. But there was two that really sort of grabbed me. The first was the Phantom Slasher of Taiwan. And it says that for a two-week period in 1956, residents near Taipei, Taiwan, lived in fear that they would be the next victim of a crazed villain prowling the city and slashing people at random with a razor. At least 21 victims were reported, and most of these were mostly low-income women and children. And in one case, a man told police in detail how he'd been slashed by a man carrying a mysterious black bag. But when the doctor determined that the wound was made by a blunt object, the man admitted that he could not recall exactly how he was wounded, but assumed that he'd been slashed. (laughs) So... Back into mass hysteria. Um, police eventually concluded that the slashings, and that's said in quotations, uh, came from everyday contact with what people would normally not have noticed. And of the 21 slashings, um, there were five innocent false reports. Seven were self-inflicted and eight were due to cuts other than razors. And one was made out to be a complete fantasy. So, it goes to show you how, you know, mass hysteria can be quite contagious. Yeah, bizarre. We have a recent one here from uh, India that occurred in August of 2004. They write that between July and August 2004, at least a dozen schoolgirls began to exhibit fainting spells and upon regaining consciousness, they would behave like cats, meowing, walking on all fours and clawing at their faces. The school in a remote hamlet in Orissa, India, was temporarily closed. The first sign that something was amiss was on the 26th of July, when Sasmita Mahapatra, a class 10 student, fainted during prayers. Later that day, two more students fainted in a similar manner, only to regain their senses and start acting like cats. On other occasions, they would act like cats and then faint. School headmistress Majubala Pandey told journalists that the following day, some six to seven girls started crying, fell down on the floor making sounds like those of a cat. She said, we immediately informed others in the village, but after the faintings and behaviour repeated, we were forced to shut the school. The girls were between the ages of 6 and 12. Each of the school's 75 students, including the affected girls, were then taken to a nearby hermitage where they were told to recite Vedic mantras in hopes of ridding them of the evil spirits. So soon after the strange outbreak at the school, Other schools within the region reported mass outbreaks of fainting, though there were no specific descriptions of meowing or other cat-like behaviour. Other outbreaks were reported at schools in the Yopata section. Over a two-day period, no fewer than 20 students from a variety of classes lost consciousness. Some were taken to the local health centre after complaining of nausea and vomiting, but were examined and soon released. Panic swept through the school and the region amid rumours that the same evil ghost or ghosts responsible for the closing of the school the previous month were at work again. Well, this is my favourite one, Ben, and it says that during the 1990s, an episode of vanishing genitalia caused widespread what? fear across Nigeria. No, wait, there's more. <laughs> Accusations were usually triggered by incidental body contact with a stranger in a public place. After the male victim would feel a strange scrotum sensation and would grab their genitals to confirm that they were still there. (laughs) Then they would confront the person as a crowd would gather, accusing them of being a genital thief before stripping naked to convince bystanders (laughs) that their penis was really missing. (laughs) 
Many victims claimed that their penis had been re- returned once alarm had been raised. However, once it had returned, it was either shrunken or was just a ghost of the penis. <laughs> The accused were often threatened or beaten until the penis had been fully restored. And in some instances, the accused was actually beaten to death. Now, this was witnessed by, uh, or this phenomenon was uh, witnessed by a number of psychiatrists in the city. And they had said that men and women would walk through the city with their hands in their pockets, discreetly holding their genitals, uh, while women would walk through the streets holding their breasts or holding their hands across their chest <laughs> to ensure that their breasts weren't stolen. <laughs> the problem was that the belief in, vanish- in vanishing genitalia was not only plausible amongst the community, but right. became a became institutionalised um, as many influential Nigerians expressed outrage when police released suspect genital thieves. Uh, a Christian priest even claimed that a Bible passage where Jesus asked, "Who touched me?" was because the power had gone out of him, referred to genital theft. Unbelievable! It is unbelievable. I would not strip down naked because I'd brushed up against someone in the street and say, "You have stolen my penis." You've stolen my penis. <laughs> and when you get it back, it's just a ghost penis. It's a ghost penis. Yes. <laughs> where so, was that from? This was from Cosmos magazine. But where's the where's the location oh, of the that? Like loca- location. That was is Nigeria. Nigeria. Right? Yeah. It's funny how many um, beliefs exist through um, that culture of. Yes, um, superstitions. And- yeah, the, all the superstitions and the voodoo culture that still exists. It's yes. incredible. Uh, well, to, to finish off, we've got one uh, from Zimbabwe. The same sort of thing. It's uh, occurred on June and July of 2002. Um, it's called the Goblin Scare. In July of 2002, a phantom goblin scare went through the St. Mark's Secondary School in Mohondoro, Zimbabwe, The headmaster of the school, which is operated by the Anglican Church, reportedly fled the school and was hiding out amid claims by parents that he was in control of tiny creatures who were sexually harassing both girls and female teachers. Commotion surrounding the hysteria forced the school's temporary closure. The community was in uproar over the accusations and angry parents were turning up at the school demanding to see the headmaster. Now, several students and teachers told journalists that they had also been beaten by invisible objects. In all, at least 30 students said they had been attacked. One teacher who did not want to be identified for fear of being victimised said that some of the students were possessed by evil spirits. They said, I witnessed one incident when a student went into a trance. He was demanding meat, threatening that after finishing with the students, the spirits would attack the teachers next. We are living in fear. The outbreak coincided with midterm exams. Now, the strange turn of events left the school's assistant headmaster in the hot seat, having to deal with the community. Somewhat shell-shocked, he was reportedly referring inquiries to the Ministry of Education, Sports and Culture. He also insisted that his name not be published in the newspapers, citing public service regulations. Trying to put on a brave face, he was quoted as saying, Everything is now back to normal and I understand lessons have resumed. Despite the reassurance, his words did not seem to be taken seriously and the situation seemed to be far from normal. The first signs of trouble began six weeks earlier when some students claimed that mysterious beings were harassing them in their hostels at night. The creatures were known as the Vikwambo or the Mubobobo in Shona and Tokoloshi in Zulu. According to one student, about 30 students have been victims of the attacks and we can't bear spending another night at this haunted place. A friend of mine was bitten on the arm after she wrestled with a ghost which wanted to sleep with her. Several of the school's female teachers were said to be thinking about quitting their jobs. 
Just like students, the teachers said they were being sexually assaulted at night by strange creatures. A statement issued by some of the teachers read in part, Sometimes we get up in the morning to find the bedding mysteriously wet and we suspect foul play. That reminds me of the article we had that we cut. Was on episode four? Oh, yes, where I was laughing hysterically. Yeah, it was, where was it? It was in Singapore oh, no, or No, it was uh, Malaysia. Right. Yeah. And these, these, uh, these house full of girls kept on saying they were being molested at, at night. They'd at 5am and there would be these creatures with wearing like the traditional Malaysian sarongs. Or yeah, whatever. it was like a ghost and he'd just- He'd take off his sarong. And- his sarong. <laughs> so get it. We keep laughing at we that keep story. Laughing. We shouldn't laugh. There's nothing funny about it, but still- uh, yeah, that's exactly the same kind of thing that's being described there. I wonder, though, like I lived on, and when I did my undergrad, I lived on campus and um, I lived in a, in a, uh, a mixed sex um, college. And there was just like, honestly, though, like we, because everyone was always drinking. So there was a lot of, you know, um, rambunctiousness, to say the least. Um, people were incredibly stressed because either we were studying medicine or science and those sort of things. So we had really heavy, most of the people on my floor had really heavy subjects. Um so I was. I'm not surprised that in these organisations or these you know situations that there is more spiritual activity or ghosts occurring because people are so pent up and so stressed. And it's often I've heard of ghost stories in the past where you know um, teenagers are coming into puberty that poltergeist activity occurs. No, strange. It is strange. It's funny that this is often a, a skeptic's kind of go to for abduction experiences. Yes. And encounters is that it's some sort of mass hysteria. But, I mean, from doing this show and generally having a pretty open mind already, when I hear stories about beings and things interfering with people, I'm often more inclined to be open to the fact that there are beings in other dimensions that really are messing with people, Well, rather than it being mass hysteria. I mean, we keep fish in fish tanks, don't we? And we keep ants in, you know, in ant houses. Think, why not, if you've got the capability to do it, and be fun to watch what, how humans respond? Well, when you were at, at, at uni and, you know, stressed out, did anyone ever, like, take your penis? <laughs> Not without buying me a drink first. <laughs> oh, no, that was terrible, that story. <laughs> that was awful. We have to put it in there. So, if you do want to read more cases of what they're calling mass hysteria, mass panics, mass delusions, the book is Outbreak, the Encyclopedia of Extraordinary Social Behaviour. We'll have links to it in the show notes as well as these articles where you can read more. If you had any experiences, email us with them as well. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Go to mysteriousinvest.org. We'll be right back. guys what's going on mike here um listening for a long time anyway i heard you guys talking about uh, episode 204 about the um sensing things before they happen um it's happened to me for a long time and uh kind of just never really told anybody but my girlfriend it's kind of weird but um a lot of times when i'm sitting on the computer or something i can um you know automatically just kind of look look at my phone and then the phone will go off about 10 seconds later i'm kind of like sense it's going to come in um you know things like that it could be just because the electric stuff going on with the phone in the area, but a weird story happened to me um, a couple months ago. I was at school, had a dream <clears throat> that, of all things, I was at a restaurant online order, ordering some food. <laughs> it's really weird, but I noticed that there was a bunch of people um, in line in front of me, and the dream only lasted for maybe like not even a minute. And I just kind of like noticed all the people that were in line, and I thought it was bizarre that I was having a dream that I was in a restaurant ordering, waiting to order food. Anyway, about two weeks later. 
I was at a restaurant in line about to order some food and I looked around and the people that were in the restaurant around me were the people from the dream. Um, there was one guy there with some people that looked like the exact people that were in the dream, but I had, it was extremely bizarre. Anyway, um, thought that kind of fit in with episode 204. I don't know if I'm crazy or what's going on, but um, I just thought it was a pretty bizarre occurrence and uh, didn't really tell anybody about it because I don't really know who to tell, but thought it fit in with the podcast on 204. And uh, thanks for bringing in you back and loving it, man. Bye. Thanks for calling in, Mike. That's a great story. And it made us have a look at a couple of articles that have been similar. A few of these things have come up um, when you and I have been doing research. And Remember, Ben, there was one that really struck me, which was um, actually sent in by a listener, and it's thisman.org. Now, um, I don't know whether or not this is true. It seems a little bit fake to me. I want to go on record straight up and say, I don't think this is real. But it got me thinking. It got me thinking. And the, basically, the, the crux of this article, or this website, is that um, throughout the world, there are all these people that have these dreams, and they dream about this man. And this man, they have a picture or like a face fit, a forensic face fit of this guy. And he's got a sort of receding hairline and really thick, bushy eyebrows. And apparently, according to the website, people see them in his dream or people see them in their dreams all the time. And it's not just one or two people. Apparently, it's all around the world, which got me to thinking about what Mike said, that he had a dream that he saw these people. And then a couple of weeks later, he was in this restaurant and he saw these people again. And it makes me wonder... You know, are there people out there that can tap into dreams? You know, people have different psychic abilities. Are there people out there that can appear in dreams as a certain person and move through people's different dreams? They've got accounts on the website, thisman.org, of what apparently people have sent in. Uh, One of them said, I've always had this dream of flying in the sky over my city and observing my friends from up there. Since I moved to another house, I started meeting this man while flying. Not every single time that I have this dream about flying, but often enough, he flies too, but he never speaks. Um, another one said, the first time I had a dream about this man, I was having a hard time at work. I had a dream about getting lost in a huge and deserted shopping mall, and suddenly this man appeared and I started running away from him. He chased after me for what seemed like an hour until I found myself against a wall in the kids' area in a supermarket. At this point, he smiled at me and he showed me the way out towards the cash desks and I woke up. Ever since that night, this man has appeared in all of my dreams and he always gives me directions to get out of the dream and wake up. It's a pretty cool story, I have to admit. That's I still kind don't- of creepy, someone telling you how to get out of your dream. Yeah, I still think it's, it's viral for something. It looks too conveniently... Put together. I don't know. I'm not sure how to word it. But getting back to Mike's call, um, that really goes into the discussion of whether things are predestined or not. Well, you and I were saying that today, and I was saying to you, you know, so many things in my life have occurred, and even bad things that have occurred have actually turned out for the best in the end. You know, they've directed me. I've moved different locations and done different things, and mm-hmm. the way that I've decided to follow in my education. And these things wouldn't have happened unless certain predetermined events occurred. But just saying to you, I really do think that we just don't have any control over what we do. Mm. Well, thanks for calling in, Mike. And please, for the rest of you, please uh, give us a call when you get a chance. Our number is 530-918-4070. And uh, that's an American number. So, if you're overseas, just dial one in the front of that. And thanks to everyone who's uh, emailed in with their synchronicity stories as well, because this whole topic ties in very much with the idea of synchronicity Mm. and uh, you know, sort of things. We've got uh, some experiences from people towards the end of the show 
um, that we'll, we'll cover soon. But uh, in the meantime, we have some uh, pretty weird uh, ghost stories to share. I love this one. This one is on uh, Phantoms and Monsters, which has been a, a great um, site for us to get some information yeah, from. Big shout out to Lon at Phantoms and Monsters. It's a, a fantastic blog. It's at naturalplane.blogspot.com. This really interests me, Ben, because I've always had a fascination with the Titanic. And it first started when my father, foolishly, the first time I was on a on a boat mm. and um, we were going across, and I can't remember where I was, somewhere up in Queensland, but we were going out reasonably far. And so, my father tells me about this ship where all these people died. You know, <laughs> no. I, I think I was seven. <laughs> so, I think it traumatised the idea of the Titanic into me. because Scarred for life. Yeah, I never got- because oh, we were on a barge, so I went b- straight back into the car. I never got out of the car, um, which now I realise is probably a silly thing because you're more likely to drown in the car. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Um, this article is Paranormal Group Seeks RMS Titanic EVPs. And we've had EVPs on the show before and they're, they're basically, what, are they, what does it stand for? Electronic uh, voice phenomena. Voice phenomena, right. Mm. We've had recordings of apparently people have picked it up on their answering machines and just static. And Well, this group um, called the Titanic Endeavour Tour is seeking sponsors. They want to go out and they want to go and put probes down to the Titanic wreck mm. and try and record... EVPs. I think it's a great idea dropping a microphone down there and seeing what you'd pick up. There's so much, you know, um, energy surrounding it, you know, such a traumatic, um, you know, and so many people died in such a horrific way mm. that you'd hope that you'd get an EVP out of it. They say that generating the f- funding for the project is slow going, but it's coming together, though. They said we're currently in negotiations to uh, sell film rights to the documentary and the investigation's entitled Titanic, you know their history, now hear their voices. Do they actually have any recordings yet, or they're just kind of banking on getting some? I think they're banking on getting It doesn't look like they've got any, but from doing that, um, I went and had a look around, and I found on YouTube, um, not from the actual Titanic wreck itself, but some EVPs that were taken from um, the Titanic graves, and I'm not sure if this is in Nova Scotia or... Oh, it's in Halifax. So, Titanic graves in Halifax. So, we'll just play that for you now. What do you think it's saying? I, I can't pick it up. No, it's the comments are saying below the grave is this grave is mine, this corpse is mine. But there was oh here we go. I know what it says. When it was cleaned up because the following one cleaned it up, and the cleaned up one says she's just walking by. Oh okay, yeah, I can hear it in that one. Yeah. I have a theory about ghosts and um, for the fact that, as I told you, I, I saw one and um, it was only for a split second, but it was, um, I had sensed something. I'm not really that in tune, but I'd sensed something in that house previously. And when I saw this thing, um, because of the dress that he was wearing, he was, you know, wearing 1930s dress and, and whatever else. And I started, it made me start thinking about you know, what's going on here is, you know, ghostly apparitions. I really wonder if it's because time, you know, is just a human invention. I'm wondering if it's, you know, dimensional planes that are overlapping and, you know, each dimension is actually a time index or something and that these are overlapping. And that's why EVPs never make sense. Because you and I talking right now, I'm in this room talking. And what I'm saying right now, if if you heard a sentence about what I'm saying out of context, it yeah, exactly. Make sense. Yeah, yeah. We've got a couple more interesting ghost stories. This one's from the Mail Online. <laughs> I love this I one. I love actually. this one. <laughs> it was on a pub landlady who plans an exorcism to get rid of a ghostly barman. It's bad for her, but it's 
So, well, it's bad for her that this ghost is there, but it's great for the patrons. It's great for the customers. Great for the yeah. patrons. A pub landlady is calling in an exorcist to get rid of a ghost, which she claims is topping up regular's pints. Janice McCormack says the spirit is costing her a fortune as it tops up beers. Mrs McCormack, who's 60, said, I know it sounds very strange, but it happens when customers go to the toilet or put their pint down for a second or two. When they turn around, there is an extra inch of beer. She has nicknamed the ghost Reedy after legendary actor and drinker Oliver Reed and says he has been haunting the Apsley House in South Sea, Hampshire, after she took over the lease 10 years ago. Since January, the generous ghoul has been mysteriously refueling regulars' glasses. McCormack, who runs the pub with husband Patrick, said, My regulars love it, but it is costing me because people are drinking less. It reminds me of those alcoholics. You know how people say, oh, you know, you're turning into an alcoholic when you're, you know, encouraging other people to drink with you? <laughs> uh, what if it's an alcoholic ghost? Yeah, he's just hanging out, he's drinking. and But it sounds like a, a pretty clever um, way to get business into the pub. Oh, I'd there. Speaking of EVP, we had this one from The Sun, which I thought was completely ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Uh, it doesn't actually have a, it just says staff reporter, doesn't it? No one's willing to put their name to this bed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it says a shocked mum was left stunned after she heard the voice of an eerie ghost while watching a family home video. Sarah Mackesy was filming her kids during a day out at the Enchanted Forest Nature Reserve in Tunbridge Wells in Kent. The excited mum had taken video of her eight-week-old son, Mac, while her partner and two other children were playing nearby. But when the family watched back the video later that evening, they were shocked. They heard a terrifying voice groan, I'm alive. Let's take a listen to this and um, let us know what you think. Here we go. That's just a point. Oh, I'm sorry, Ben, but I, that's just whoever's behind the cam- camera has said that. And the fact is, it, I'm, I can't believe that such a, a great journalistic, serious magazine like The Sun. <laughs> Come on. Okay, yeah, no, I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> it just sounds like it's someone's to be on the sun. putting on a voice and not a particularly good voice. I'm alive. Yeah, no, it's just terrible. Wow. We're going to leave you with that one. We've got some science stories coming up to bring us back down to earth. Stay with us. Next, we move to the dailymail.co.uk with the headline, Artificial life will be created within months as genome experts claim vital breakthrough. Scientists are only months away from creating artificial life, it was claimed yesterday. Dr. Craig Venter, one of the world's most famous and controversial biologists, said his US researchers have overcome one of the last big hurdles to making a synthetic organism. The first artificial life form is likely to be a simple man-made bacterium that proves that the technology can work, but it will be followed by more complex bacteria that turn coal into cleaner natural gas or algae that can soak up carbon dioxide and convert it into fuels. They could also be used to create new vaccines and antibiotics. The prediction came after a breakthrough by the J. Craig Venter Institute in Maryland. Researchers successfully transferred the DNA of one type of bacteria into a yeast cell and modified it and then transferred it into another bacteria cell. The pioneering gene swap was performed on a simple species of bacteria called Mycoplasma mycoides. This is 
pretty interesting information, Ben, but it's not actually um, as sensational as they claim. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. A lot of the, the clotting agents, like we used to have to get, um, for haemophiliacs, we used to have to get clotting agents out of human blood. Um, but we don't actually do that anymore. What happens is they get a big bioreactor, which is basically just a, you know, a big tank full of bacterial sludge. And we've actually altered the genetics of the bacteria. And these bacteria actually excrete um, clotting agents and those sort of things. So it's been done for quite a while, but it seems like the pioneering part here is that they're actually you know, substantially altering the DNA. They're saying in the article here that uh, this technology could accelerate construction of live vaccine strains. So that's really where the where the research is focusing. Check that out at dailymail.co.uk. There'll be links in the show notes at mysteriousuniverse.org. This next article, Ben, is um, really interesting to me. I remember years and years and years ago, um, a mate of mine, um, when we were sitting down and having a couple of beers and, you know, classic DNM, and he said to me, our generation is either going to be the last generation to die or the first generation to live forever. And that really made me think. And I've been sort of occasionally stewing over that every now and again because we do have these great leaps and bounds in medical technology all the time. And um, this latest article, again, from Cosmos has come out saying that today's babies could live well into the 22nd century. It's from a Paris study, and uh, more than half of the babies born today in rich countries will live to 100 years if current trends of life expectancy continue. And it's saying that it's a great thing that we're able to do this. However, in doing so, we're going to have an increase in an ageing population. It's going to put a lot of stress on the world's population in itself and the fact that we could overpopulate. Uh, and it says that if the pace of increase in life expectancy is developed in developed countries over the past two centuries continues through the 21st century, most babies born since 2000 in France, Germany, Italy, the UK, the United States, Canada, Japan, and other countries, and I'll include here Australia, they don't say that, but we'll throw that in for good measure. <laughs> okay, good. Um, the longer life expectancies these babies born this time will expect to see their 100th birthdays. So, it's a pretty interesting idea. The good point in there is the pressure it creates on society with the extra population. We need another planet. We do. We need to go to Mars. Yes. We need to go to Mars. This one's full. Maybe we'll just send everyone over, over 60 to Mars. Do they right. mention in the article why the life expectancy is increasing? No, they don't. But it's something that I've looked into. I, I studied epidemiology in my undergrad. And um, the fact is, is that life expectancy is, is increasing for the fact that we have better medical technology, which is a given. But also we have um, cleaner foods as in, you know, there's less bacterial exposure. We have cleaner drinking water. Um, we have better care methods. Uh, and we have a knowledge, even though we seem to sort of be going backwards at the moment, but we have a better knowledge of nutrition and exercise. Mm. Um, even I mean, Australia and the US, I know, are definitely in um, obesity epidemics at the moment, which is changing. The tide is changing. There's The laws are going in to stop you know, fast food advertising, those sort of things. Um, but because of these sort of things, that's why the life expectancy is increasing. And we also have discoveries like this next one from BBC News on a substance found on Easter Island it apparently raises life extension hopes. Yeah, rampamycin it's called. Um, and it's a drug discovered in the soil of a South Pacific island, um, which is Easter Island. So, you'd imagine, you know, those- With the big heads. Big, big heads. Right. Yeah, the big weird heads. Um, and it's saying that it might help fight the ageing process. Um, when US scientists tr treated old mice with rampamycin, it extended their expectancy or their expected lifespan by up to 38%. The findings were published in the journal Nature. Now, Nature is a very much a mainstream um, journal and you have to be very mainstream to get published in it. So, it's not something that's sort of 
you know, a little bit airy-fairy. Um, it raises the prospect of being able to slow down the aging process in older people. And rampamycin um, has been used previously, though. Rampamycin, the problem that rampamycin has is that it suppresses immunity. And it's actually currently used, um, I think it's currently used in organ transplants, because when you have an organ transplant, you need to have your immunity suppressed. Um, but the fact is, if people's lifespans are getting longer and you combine it with this drug, which could be freely available in the next 20 years. It's pretty amazing, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's increasing lifespan by 38%, now already if you've got babies you know, born after 2000 being expected to live to 100, well, that's mm. at least 138 now. Mm. They've got a quote here from researcher Arlen Richardson of the Barship Institute who said, I've been in ageing research for 35 years and there have been many so-called anti-aging interventions over those years that were never successful. He said, I never thought we would find an anti-aging pill for people in my lifetime. However, rapamycin shows a great deal of promise to do just that. So it could just be a case of taking a pill for an extra 50 years. I'd take it. <laughs> who wouldn't take it? I'd take it. Um, I'm the sort of person who likes to be, I think I'm quite open-minded, and I like people's beliefs to be, you know, openly accepted. Um, and I really hate it when people are harassed for their beliefs. And this one, Ben, is very close to me. It's student punished for spaghetti beliefs. And it's a student has been suspended from school in America for coming to class dressed as a pirate. But the disciplinary sorry I had to laugh. But the disciplinary action has provoked controversy because the student says the band violates his rights as the pirate costume is part of his religion. Yeah, Brian Killian says that he follows the Pastafarian religion and that as a crucial part of his faith, he must wear full pirate regalia as prescribed in the holy texts of Pastafarianism. The school, however, says that his pirate garb is disruptive. Pastafarians follow the flying spaghetti monster and believe that the world was created by the touch of his noodly appendage. Furthermore, they acknowledge pirates as being absolute divine beings and stress that the worldwide decline in the number of pirates has directly led to global warming. It has. People need to stand up for this, Ben. <laughs> I'm a, gonna... What a smart-ass kid. <laughs> no, I can't even what say a smart-ass kid to turn up dressed as a pirate and then have his whole story to back it up. What would motivate you to get up one morning and go, oh, I think I'm going to go to school dressed as a pirate? Well, he's just following his religion. And, of course, the whole, would... the whole point of the flying spaghetti monster is to make fun of people that have, you know, pretty hard religious beliefs and <laughs> I think it's doing a pretty good job. <laughs> and finally here, this article, I love this article. It's been, again, in mainstream media a few times this week, but we had to mention it. It's a 10-year-old girl sells her gran on eBay. <laughs> a 10-year-old schoolgirl who has grown tired of her grandmother's moaning put her up for sale on eBay where she's attracted bids exceeding £20,000 with the description of very cuddly and likes word searches. <laughs> I like the points. You said uh, she's uh, the points listed were annoying and moaning a lot, although she admitted 61-year-old Marion Goodall could be very cuddly and loves word searches. She said her father, Thomas Pemberton, 31, who cares for his disabled mother at their home in Clacton, Essex, said, I could hear Zoe asking mum lots of questions about her favourite drinks, food and height, but I had no idea what she was doing. She called me over, pressed the confirm button and said, I've put Nan on eBay. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I had no idea she knew how to do it. She'd even got a picture of my mum. Now, Zoe didn't want to sell her Nan, but wanted someone to come here and look after her. It was really quite sweet. 
I didn't tell her off and it certainly brought a smile to my mum's face. It's a shame they took it down. I'd like to see if actually anyone followed through with walking out £20,000 for this woman. It's pretty funny. I think all of us out there would have some family member we wouldn't mind putting on eBay. Oh, there's a number I could name. we <laughs> <laughs> all a new source of income, Ben. We're going to take a quick break and we have some of your uh, emails and call-ins to talk about at the end of the show. Stay with us. Hey guys, former premium subscriber TJ Collin from Massachusetts. Great to have you guys back. Definitely my favorite podcast of all time. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, after listening to the first two episodes, lo and behold, one one night later, I wake up with this voice in my ear and I swiftly turn over and to my right is a large shadowy figure standing over my bed and then it slowly fades away as I stare at it longer and paralyzed with fear, but nonetheless, my first shadow person encounter since the show has started back up in the serious universe will bring strange events into your life. Keep it up, guys. I love the podcast, and uh, I missed the limited edition DVD set, but I uh, hope to see some more limited edition stuff coming out. Keep up the great work, guys. Take care. Thanks for calling in, TJ. And yes, it is true. If you listen to this show, strange things will happen to you. Call our voicemail. It's plus one five three zero nine one eight four zero seven zero. That's five three zero nine one eight four zero seven zero. Add the plus one on there if you're outside the US. And it's probably a topic, well, of course it's a topic we'll keep covering on Mysterious Universe because it happens so frequently to people, the idea of uh, shadow beings. But um, we've got a couple of emails we wanted to share with you before we wrap up this episode. This one's from Mike in Toronto who said, I was lying in bed listening to the MU podcast on my iPhone. It was the episode where you spoke about synchronicity and asked everyone to send in their stories about the subject. When the episode was finished, I shut off my iPhone and could hear my wife checking her email in the other room. She was singing along to the CD that she had playing in her stereo. The song was Fever, you know, that old jazz standard, You Give Me Fever. Eventually, she shut off the music and came to bed and we went to sleep. The next morning when I woke up, my alarm clock radio had gone off and it was playing the same song, Fever. The fact that this song was the last thing I heard before going to sleep and then the first thing I heard after waking up is weird enough. But on top of that, I had my alarm clock tuned to a French radio station. I've never even heard an English song played on it before. And of course, the fact that I just listened to a podcast about the phenomenon of synchronicity is the icing on the cake. Anyway, keep up the great work, guys. Mike from Toronto. Thanks for the email, Mike. And we have been getting quite a lot of synchronicity emails in the last week and a half, haven't we, Aaron? Would you? Would you? Yeah. Which We're mentioning the Woodja experience, which is your family's name, My the synchronicity. It's so true. And it makes me wonder, like, we keep on saying that when you listen to Mysterious Universe, strange things happen. And it makes me wonder, like, is it that you listen to these things that you're more open-minded to it and you just notice them, or is it actually occurring? It's just... Could be mass hysteria. Could be mass hysteria. And I would love to be responsible for mass hysteria. So, that's that's great. Well, um, Dean's written in here with a great email, um, which comes back into sort of when you listen to Mysterious Universe, things happen. And he says that I'm emailing you about your last podcast where you mentioned a guy interviewing a lady who has been abducted, but she didn't really know whether it was aliens or humans from the past. On my way home, listening, thinking, this is really interesting, but also thinking, I believe in UFOs and other life out there, but always thought abductions to be something a bit weird and made up. Don't ask me why, I don't know. Anyway, she goes on about her experiences when she was young, 
and I started having tingles run through me as most of them matched mine. Not exactly, but similar things. For example, I used to have this nightmare where I didn't understand what was occurring. However, it was kind of like me on a weird surface bouncing or almost floating up and down with doors that went all around me. I used to have this dream once a year, sometimes twice, and I used to dread the time when I'd have it. I'd wake up screaming. My mum said that she walked in on me awake, but asleep, screaming that the man, the man pointing and saying there's a fire. I used to have weird stuff happen to me. Over the years, I've had very vivid dreams. I also used to go off food, as it tasted horrible, but the previous day I'd eaten it and it tasted fine. It's just a strange feeling when you hear someone describing things that you went through. Maybe it's nothing, but who knows? That's often the start of uh, people recalling strange experiences from their childhood, which can often be... Some say abduction experiences. Well, something struck a nerve with me here, and I've never had any abduction experiences or anything like that, and I pray to God that I never do, um, because I'm assuming that they're quite terrifying. But as a kid, I always used to have this problem where I would um, sleepwalk. I'd always get up, and I'd be running around the house, or I'd go and sleep underneath the house, or I'd, you know, I'd... Funny one time is that the bathroom and the kitchen were next to each other and I went and peed into the bin instead of going to the toilet. So <laughs> Nice. But the thing was that I never remembered any of this. I, I never remembered it. Right. So it was just funny how kids have these things where, you know, Dean's saying here that he was awake, but he wasn't awake. Yeah, that's bizarre. It is bizarre. I used to sleepwalk when I was a kid as well. And my mum used to get freaked out because she told me that she would find me sitting up in bed but staring at a co- the corner in the bedroom, really? the ceiling corner in the bedroom, and pointing at it and saying, Mum, the spaceman, Mum, there's a spaceman. And I would point, I would point out the corner and say, Mum, there's a spaceman. See, I got goosebumps from that Freak her out. Oh, that would freak me out. I'd have to put my kid down. I'm sorry, you got to go. <laughs> That's but, uh, too no, I think I just had a pretty imaginative, pretty crazy imagination when I was a kid. <laughs> um, Look we, where it got you, Ben. Thanks, thanks everyone who's sent in emails over the week. We do get tons, so if you don't get a reply straight away, um, it's because... Just simply because we get, we get we do quite read a lot. them though we read every we single read, we one we both read every one and we thank you for emailing in yeah thanks for thanks for emailing in and don't forget to call in and share your experiences with the strange and the paranormal or just to say hi check out our website at mysteriousuniverse.org go to the show notes for this episode season two episode six you'll see all the links to the stories you've heard us cover today including videos and also the music you've heard on this show is from the uh, iota promo net you can find them at iotaalliance.com you can download uh, all the tracks you've heard in this episode aaron lots of people have been asking about uh the sold out dvds yes yes i'm not going to let people know what's happening just yet but let me just say something big is coming for our back catalog yeah we've got uh, some some good plans something and, exciting um, don't worry if you missed out on the the, the back catalog dvds we we've got other options in the works so we'll have uh, announcements on those uh pretty shortly we better get out of here because there's a, a storm coming storm. yeah there's thunder in the background here and aaron's uh aaron's friend just called and he's got blackouts so Probably a good time to wrap up this episode. I've been your host, Benjamin Grundy, for Mysterious Universe. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. 